From Studio 102 in the scenic BBG Annex, it's the Hearts of Fire podcast, the podcast for the team at Biobridge Global, where we're working every day to save and enhance lives through the healing power of human cells and tissue. I'm David King, your host for this week, and our guest today is Redebel Colon. <laughs> Welcome to Studio 102. Thank you. Thank you so much. So uh, we always start these with a really easy question. Okay. Where are you from? Oh, and that's not even easy. <laughs> well, I was born, this will surprise you, in Rochester, New York, um, but I was raised in Puerto Rico. And, and how did you wind up back on the mainland? Um, oh, wow. Um, well, a lot of insistence from my husband to move from I'm like, I, I'm, we were living in paradise, or that's why how people think about it. Um, really, we were not, it's, it's difficult to live there. So my husband was like very adamant that at some point we should make the move. And finally, I think it was in 20, I think it was in 2012, I finally had, a, had like a moment that like, you know what, I think it's time. It's time to move and start preparing for that move. And it took us a year to prepare and then moved. Yep. So where did you wind up moving to? San Antonio. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we actually, we moved to, we bought our hat. Well, we rented a house completely online um, from Puerto Rico in shirts. I know it was scary. <laughs> it was very scary. Um, but uh, it turned out good. We had one friend in San Antonio. He's actually in Floresville. He went, saw the house, and we were like, we gave him pointers, like, we want to make, make sure that the neighborhood looks good, that um, I already had information about the schools, and I like them. And, yeah, he he's like, the house is good. If you don't like it, guys, you can move in a year. And and that was our mentality. It's like, if we don't like it, we move in a year. But we stayed in, the house, in that house for three years. And then we bought a house, like, three minutes away. <laughs> Always staying in shirts. <laughs> Makes the move easy, huh? It did. It it was very easy. Just lot, lots of trips between one house and the other in my car. It was it was easy. <laughs> so how long have you been with with the with the organization? So with um, BioBridge Global specifically with Qualtics, I've been for four and a half years. And and what jobs have you done while you're here? And then tell us what you do now. Okay. Well. I've always been in training, so I started as a supervisor for laboratory training, and um, then I got promoted to a manager role. Um, it's still in training as manager of training and administration. So talking about what I do right now, I oversee training for Qualtics. So everything from scheduling, organizing, and um, tracking training, mostly technical training for the laboratory staff and also onboarding new staff for Qualtics. So you have some, you, you had some experience previously mm -hmm. in this area. I mean, tell us a little bit about what you've done previously that sort of qualified you to, to, <laughs> to be in charge of training for Qualtics. Okay, so I guess it's, it's a long story. Uh, it, it, 
I didn't start in training. Um, I, I'm a chemist, so I started working in laboratories, working with starting my first chemistry job, and that's important to note. Uh, my first chemistry job was in Procter & Gamble, working in laboratory, performing testing for finished product. And from there, um, that's when I first got my introduction to GMP, good laboratory practices, and then from there, um, I, I moved companies. Proctor was not a good fit for me. And I moved to Coca-Cola. Um, and with Coca-Cola, all of this is in Puerto Rico. I'm, um, I started my career there. And in Coca-Cola, again, working in labs, performing testing, finished product. Um, it was interesting, not the right environment for me either. Um, and then I ended up moving to Novartis, Novartis Consumer Health, working with over-the-counter products. It felt more like home. It was a small facility. When I started working in Novartis, um, our facility had 80, 85 employees, very small, big company, but a very small facility. I enjoyed being there i really liked when i got to the lab when i started working in their lab their lab was extremely outdated um they were working with instruments that i haven't seen since college it was really bad <laughs> but i was excited because i saw that things were it, they had like those changing winds going on and you could see how new management were coming on board and they were looking to bring new things to the facility and and i stayed in novartis for 10 years so i saw the company going from 80 85 employees to 250. Um, it was it was really nice i did different roles in there i worked in the laboratory then um, got promoted to a qa position quality representative did all the different quality systems in there because again small facility you do everything <laughs> and and then um from quality i was offered to return to the lab as the lab supervisor so they gave me the first opportunity my first supervisor opportunity uh, it was really good. It was, I, it was like nobody can tell you that. Oh yes, I went into supervising and it was awesome. No, a lot of growing pains, <laughs> but it was so worth it. Um, the challenging part is becoming the supervisor of your peers. Definitely um, a challenge. Nice thing was that I I had three years to remove myself from the lab a little bit and then come back in a different role, different perspective. Um, still, you know, um, got into some trouble, but I was able to survive, go through that. Um, was not necessarily coached by my immediate manager, but I, through my career in, Novar in Novartis, I was able to develop relationships with other people, not only in my department, but the other departments. And it was just friendships and they were all there for me whenever I had questions. I didn't feel shy of going to a manager or a director asking hard questions like why isn't this getting approved for me why are these things not moving forward for me my team needs this what do i need to do to make it happen and getting their guidance well go and talk to so and so go and talk to this person ask this ask that and then finally get into a solution and like okay that's what's going on so anyways the decision to move to san antonio comes and um that's when i 
I, at that time I was already um, toying with the idea of moving from lab management for lab operation to do something in training. I already did um, had the opportunity when we did the lean implementation in Novartis to train the facility. I was part of the first team that implemented lean and then I became the problem solving expert for the facility. So my job as problem solving expert was not to solve problems. It was to train everyone in our facility. So I had to train 250 employees on problem solving skills and on the problem solving methodology that we were going to follow. And I did that in like a six month window, which the management thought that it was very aggressive. I'm like, it can be done. Just, I just, these are the dates. This is what we need. Can you, can you give me the staff? That's all I need. Give me the staff. Um, we made it work. Everyone got trained and you know, that kind of like, I really like being in front of a class, talking, imparting knowledge, really loved it, putting together materials, finding other things, because I, I saw that we needed to reinforce materials in a different way for our staff. Um, so all of that came together and I started thinking I would like to do something in training. And um, in that search and the search for a place to, to live um, or to move to, I stumbled upon the Texas teacher certification. Seemed easy, not very expensive, um, doable, completely doable during my that year period when I was in Puerto Rico um, before moving here. And I went for it. I started, I, I only had to pay like $300 up front. I'm like, I can lose $300, it's fine, I guess. Um, so I did and I went through the program, completed everything, finished it up when I, when I moved. And we moved in July 2013, and in February 2014, I was already teaching. Um, got my certifications, everything. I got certified um, to teach science 7 through 12, got certified as a bilingual teacher, and, and got my teacher, um, my, the, they call it the BP, BPP, I think it is, something like that. I don't remember anymore. I don't have to remember that anymore. Um, so yeah, I, I did that. I, I started teaching, taught high school science in a very difficult part of the town. I was in the Harlandale, Harlandale district and I had um, the at-risk community that I was in the at-risk campus. So we had, my classes were small. I would have, my biggest class was maybe 16 students, but they were all struggling students, um, students that were behind and basic skills, specifically math was really hard. Reading was hard for some of them and trying to teach physics um, to these students was a big challenge. Then I moved to teach chemistry because chemists made sense. Um, and thankfully the teacher that was doing chemistry, she's like, you can take it. It's all yours. <laughs> So I taught chemistry then in that school for two years and then moved to a very different um, school environment, which is in Alamo Heights, middle school, bilingual. Um, so I was doing bilingual science for seventh, seventh graders. So I was doing the same curriculum for seventh graders in Spanish and then in English. It was double the work, of course, because I have to put my curriculum in English and then translate to Spanish and Google Translate doesn't work. Whoever tells you it does, it doesn't. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lie. <laughs> 
Um, so, yes. Um, and Alamo Heights was my, like, okay, um, this is not for me. Teaching, I can teach. Dealing with kids, not my thing. And um, that's when my job, when the position here for a trainer, a training supervisor came along. And honestly, I feel that everything aligned. It was like all of these things aligned for me to get this job. I got the position. It was so funny. I still remember Sunday night. I'm looking in Indeed and I see this position, training supervisor. I looked at it and I looked at my husband like, read this and he reads the job description and it's like oh my god i'm like they're calling me <laughs> this is my job um so and they were asking for laboratory experience and teaching experience I'm like, that's a no-brainer that's my job um surprisingly i got rejected initially um success factors didn't like my resume and i went back and i was persistent i'm like nope that's my job. There's no way nobody saw my resume. Um, so I went back, I fine-tuned my resume, made it um, fit a little bit more um, the, what the job description was saying. I figured out what was wrong, submitted again, and got a call for an interview. There you go. After that, I've been here, loving it. <laughs> long story. I told you it was a long story. It's a good story, though. It's a very good story. Thank you. It's a good story. So... Uh, what sort of things do you do now? I mean, what is, what is the training like? Wow. Okay, so a lot of collaboration with the laboratory management, which is something that I'm enjoying a lot. Um, getting together with my peers in my department, we each of us kind of overlap in our roles. So um, planning with them, who is the next person to train, who will be their trainer, um, also you know, we are CLIA regulated, so also planning competency assessments, keeping up with people that have to complete them so that they're not pulled out of the bench um, from testing. Um, create, right now I have a project that's been going for two years and I feel like I will never finish it, but I will. <laughs> I'm committed to finish it. Um, it's, I'm updating all the procedures for lab services. Um, rewriting all of them to make it easier for the staff to understand their job, what they have to do, what are the tasks. Um, it's one of the things that um, I've been trying to address is uh, who's the audience of the procedure and not necessarily having a procedure just because we have to have a procedure. It's who's going to read it, how are they going to read it, what are the resources that can support that. Um, so created a lot of job aids, work instructions, SOPs. I've been that's why I spend so much time in my office. <laughs> it's writing, writing, writing. Um, and then creating content for other trainings. So right now, uh, the other project that I'm pushing is um, the, the launch of a new onboarding training for lab services employees. So it's very tailored to our lab services. Yes, you receive SOPs in mastery control. You go, you read them maybe your first month working here, but it's very general and it doesn't go into the details of your day to day. So now what I'm developing is training that is specific. We just, we're in the process of um, 
publishing a safety training for lab services. It takes a person from the moment they enter the lab. This is your gowning room. This is where you're going to get your materials. These are the things that you need to get. This is how you're going to get dressed. You need to put shoe covers if your shoes are like this. You don't put shoe covers if your shoes like are like this. All of that information put it into a training. It's like a, five, a seven minute video, pretty quick. Ken and LND has been a great help there. Um, just putting that together to help our staff. We, unfortunately, our lab ha goes through a lot of new staff throughout the year, and it's hard to make them transition into the lab, um, going through all of these basics. A lot of them are coming straight from college, so they, they have no idea how to behave in a lab. Not necessarily how to behave in a lab is now that you're working you're not in college it's not the same lab as in college there's a lot of things we do in college in our labs it's not the same here and here you have to be a lot more precautious and like it, it, you have to be sure of what you're doing and um, there are things that you can do and things that you should never do so that's part of what we're trying to tackle with that training a lot of um delia likes to call it lab 101 and I think eventually it's going to become that, the Lab 101 is just the basics to work in our lab. A lot of content that needs to be created in there, we're working to that. No wonder we never see you. <laughs> You're holed up in the office. I know, it's a lot. So, so away from the office, Yes. We, we've heard that you have sort of a special project that yeah. you work on with your, with your, with your children. Yes. Um, you see my smile, right? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, so I started with my when my son was in sixth grade. He joined the 4-H clubs in church. It was my way of finding something that was not expensive that we could afford um, for him to do out of school. And 4-H was the, something that I went, checked, and he liked robotics. And we didn't know at that time, but he had this engineering mind and so do I. I'm very like technically oriented. And um, so I'm like, hey, why don't you try it? Let's see. It was working with Legos. And soon enough, the whole project consumed me. <laughs> I couldn't avoid get completely like taken by what the project was about, what he was what he was learning. It was hard for me. Like I I've been in this, my son is already a junior in college. Um, so we started this years ago. And it was, I, I've seen parents come into this club um, year after year and see them sitting, like taking a back seat while their kids are learning with me. Um, and I was not that parent. I was a parent that I was sitting next to my kid and helping figure it out, um, helping understand what he was learning. And I loved it. Um, we we started first year was pretty much just learning the building and building and programming of the robots, the, the different things that it could do. And then the next year we started going to competitions, and that's when I was hooked. Competitions was a big thing. Going Wichita Falls, going to Dallas just to compete with other 4-H clubs. It was fun. UTSA. And then when my daughter, my daughter is um, almost six years younger than my son. So she, she joined, she couldn't join right away when he started, um, but she was coming with us to some of the meetings. She met already the, the first instructor and 
she when she was in third grade that she could join i'm like hey do you want to try it um another girl joined the team the club that same same year and they clicked um really quick it, it was so beautiful to see these two girls um third graders talking the same language and me and and her mom these kids never saw each other they wouldn't have met otherwise um and they were just clicking so quickly i'm like what is this <laughs> i've never seen this um so they stayed in the club uh she, my daughter now is in in 10th grade she's a, a sophomore her friend unfortunately this is the first year that she she quit the club um it became too much with the other school responsibilities and my daughter is staying this year because i've been begging her to stay <laughs> but yeah she's she's quitting already this is uh, now we're in the second um competition season and she will be competing this one and that's it um for this year after and next year she's starting she's getting super busy in school but i don't think that i'll be able to quit the club yet um i went from being a parent in the club to teaching the club to managing the club so i am of course the parent that's been part of the club the longest with the most knowledge and some of them sometimes are like why do we do this why do we have these things i'm like okay let me tell you a story <laughs> This is how it all came about and this is why we control things this way and this is why um and now i'm in a phase where i'm preparing the next generation that will keep the club because i am not like, planning on staying even though i love it um i'm ready for to let it go um and let other people enjoy it the same way that i did uh, but we've done so much we've grown the club itself hasn't grown that much but um, the project has, and we've been able to be a resource for other 4-H clubs, um, helping them to build their own clubs. We get we are reached out a lot about that. Um, you know, we're trying to put together a club. How do we do it? Where do we start? Um, we've had clubs coming into our meetings and practices, and we're like, hey, we have the tables where you need to practice. If you want, you can come. We are meeting. We're here practicing these days. You're welcome to come. Um, we've had team members in our club coach them as well like hey guys they need help can you give them a hand um so it's it's been really nice really i don't know it's i feel very proud of it and everything we've been able to do we host competitions every two year um twice a year um and welcome other other counties um to our competitions um that's been me pushing like guys we need to host competitions if we don't do it nobody else is going to do it and if you want your kids to compete in, a, in an event, this is a good way to make sure that they do compete in something. Because um, other clubs have stopped doing their own competitions and now we're the ones that host almost everything. Um, but it's good, it's it's good, it's, it's what, and I'm sure that once I step away, probably the parents that stayed will be overwhelmed and like, not necessarily host anything but i'm hoping that now that i'm transitioning them and getting them involved in more managing stuff that they will actually take it on and do it so yeah that's that's my outside of work <laughs>
Well, all right. Well, well, thanks for coming by today. Thank it was you. One, wonderful to visit <laughs> with you. I, 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 you know, I've heard the robotic stories, but it's it's lovely to hear it again. The, the history of it. So, thanks for coming by. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Executive producers of the Hearts Fire podcast are Adrian Mendoza and Jay Pajinski. Producer is Heather Hughes. Our director is Angelica Sandoval, with technical assistance from Matthew Flores. The Hearts of Our logo was designed by Roberto Esquivel. If you have an idea, a suggestion, a name of someone who'd like to be on the podcast, or if you'd like to be on the podcast yourself, please feel free to email us, heartsofire at biorichglobal.org. Thanks for listening.